Have you failed to make the connection this year? Hopefully you're not quite that out of the loop, um, but uh, sometimes we do that, don't we? We get caught up in peripherals, uh, just the things around Christmas, and maybe we're not making the connection. Yeah, we all have Christmas traditions, right? Uh, every family has them. Somebody share with me your favorite Christmas tradition. Somebody, and I'll repeat it for those at home. Who's, what's that? Pecan pie. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. Anybody else? Favorite Christmas tradition that you do as a family? Birthday cake for Jesus. Birthday cake for Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Anybody else? Come on, one more volunteer. Fondue on Christmas Eve after a candlelight service. Yeah, well, we all have those traditions, right? And they are great. I mean, they're all, I mean, we make uh, pizza on Christmas Eve. I don't really even remember how we started doing that, but we just get the, the, the ingredients and make a pizza together. And, of course, we have movies that we watch every year and all these traditions. And these things are great. I mean, and they make Christmas more enjoyable and they they bring you together as a family, don't they? I mean, they create memories, and all of those are good things. Um, however, if we're not careful, you know, especially we're reminded, I think, this year that since we can't do maybe some of those traditions that we've done in the past, maybe we put a little too much importance on those things sometimes. Maybe the presence uh, or the events, the traditions, we place so much importance on those that we miss what Christmas is all about. And that, that's all I want to talk about this morning is we're going to look actually at the triumphant entry and we're going to learn from there how we can avoid missing the message, missing the main event this Christmas. Because um, Jesus came as a baby. He was born for the purpose of giving his life. And throughout his life, uh, many misunderstood why he was there. Two main purposes I just kind of want to let sink in this morning. Uh, two things, two goals that I think we should have this Christmas, certainly, but always, not just this Christmas. One, I want us to focus on what really matters, Jesus and his birth um, and his mission here on earth. And again, all of those traditions are great, and I look forward to ours every year. We've still got a week full of things that we're going to do. I'm going to talk about one at the end of my message. Um, but we, you know, maybe, maybe this year, one of the great things about uh, what's happened this year with uh, the pandemic and being forced to do things a little different is that when things are different, we are a little more in tune to what's going on. And so hopefully my goal is that we will focus, we'll use that as an opportunity to focus on what really matters. Um, and then second, hold loosely the things that are temporary, the things of the world. I mean, I love presents as much as the next guy. I'm looking forward. I know some of the presents I'm getting this year. I'm looking forward to them. Um, it's okay. I mean, you know, I, I was allowed to ask for a few. I'm sure I've got surprises too. But, um, but you know, I, I'm looking forward to those things. I'm looking forward to, you know, being with my family. Um, uh, and, and those things are, are, are vitally important. Um, and family, certainly, relationships are forever, right? Um, but presents, parties, I mean, those are temporary. I mean, they're, they're good, but they're temporary. Uh, maybe focus on the eternal things, our relationship with God, our relationship 
with others, um, you know, investing in others. And so let's look this morning in Mark chapter 11. Again, we're going to look, this isn't the Christmas story, but, you know, when Jesus was born, we, we pointed this out last week, the cross was always before him. I mean, he, he knew why he came. And, and so even in, in a manger, I mean, he was headed for, he was on a mission. And his mission was to bring peace on earth, but not in the way that people thought. It was to give himself, not to be a conquering warrior that will come. Uh, you see, we see in Revelation, but this, this time to be a sacrifice. And so we probably see in no more dramatic example the misunderstanding of why Jesus was there than in the triumphant entry. And so let's read verses 1 through 11 of Mark chapter 11. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent, Jesus sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here right away. So they went and found a young donkey outside the street, uh, tied by a door, and they... Uh, uh, tied by a door, and they went outside in the street, um, sorry, and then they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the donkey? They answered them just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. Again, proving he's completely in control here. Then they brought the donkey to Jesus and drew their robes, threw their robes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their robes in the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. The coming kingdom of our father David is blessed. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And he went into Jerusalem and into the temple complex. After looking around at, the, at everything, since it was already very late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This entrance, you know, these folks had gathered. When Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem, he did it, and everything was calculated. Even, you know, telling the disciples what to say so that they could secure the donkey. I mean, it was all orchestrated. God is in complete control. Even as human, he's fully God. He's in complete control. Everything is happening according to his plan. And the entrance itself was done in a way it was calculated. It was done in a way to draw attention. Even the use of the donkey. I mean, the donkey was seen as an honorable animal in this day. I mean, kings would ride on donkeys in peacetime. They would ride on colts in wartime. So even the animal he chose, he's communicating a message here that's contrary to what most people are thinking. He's communicating, I'm coming in peace, where most individuals, most of the Jews were expecting a conquering warrior who would overthrow the Roman government. That's what they thought. That's what they wanted. That's how they interpreted uh, the prophecies about the Messiah. Um, but, and he will be a conqueror, but he didn't come in that, that day to conquer the Roman government. He came to bring peace. He came to bring sacrifice. But they didn't get it. They missed it. They missed the message. They missed the point. And we all run the risk of missing the main message this Christmas if we focus on the wrong things. If we choose to dwell on the things that aren't as important or choose to dwell on things that are important but not as important as Jesus and his mission and his purpose for coming to this earth. And so we're going to look at how we may miss the message 
this Christmas if we're not careful, or how we'll fail to make the connection. First, we fail to make the connection when we see the show, but we miss the message. You know, you, you can get caught up in all of the, the, the extras, the peripherals, um, if you're not careful. You know, we like distractions. We like to uh, chase rabbits, don't we? I mean, I, I, I looked up, just this past week, I looked up the most popular uh, conspiracy theories in, our, in the U.S., and of course, at the top of every list usually is the Kennedy assassination. I mean, there are tons of conspiracies around that. Um, you know, I, 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 there will be as long as, as, as there's history, I'm sure. But um, I, I've been to Dallas. I've seen where he was shot. I've stood on the sixth floor of the book depository. And I believe Oswald was a crazy man that acted alone. If you want to debate that later, that's fine. I could be wrong, but, you know, there's plenty of conspiracies around that. Um, Area 51, right? That's another one. There are plenty of conspiracies. What's really going on at Area 51? Uh, Jimmy Hoffa's disappearance. Is he buried under Giant Stadium or not? I mean, you know, where, where is he? No, no, one, no one knows. Um, some people believe that there's a research lab in Alaska Uh, that's secretive, and some people believe that they are performing mind control experiments there. That's one I found that I didn't know about. That's interesting, right? Uh, Mind control experiments. Did you know that there have been, in Washington State alone, 2,032 Bigfoot sightings just in Washington? Um, We love to, to imagine and to be distracted and to think about what might be um, this one was interesting. I didn't know this, um, and I, maybe I should, being a history guy, but I didn't. And some of you probably do know this. Everybody's familiar with Mount Rushmore, right? Did you know that there is a chamber hidden behind Lincoln's head? Anybody know that? I'm, a few people did. I'm not alone. Evidently, There is. There's a room. The, the sculptor, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong, but Gutson Borglum, he created this chamber so that we could, so that America could hide uh, important things there. It could just be a place where we could put things that are valuable there. And, and there are things there. There's a copy of, copy of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. Uh, but of course, when people find out about this, I didn't even really know about it um, until this week. Uh, people find out about this, all sorts of conspiracy theories. There are secret documents about aliens there. Or have, have you seen National Treasure Book of Secrets? Again, I had no idea. I'm clueless. But that movie was based on the idea that there's treasure buried there, that there's treasure there. And so all sorts of conspiracy theories. We love our distractions, don't we? I mean, think about it. People go to the circus and they get so caught up in the sideshows, they miss what's happening in the center ring. I mean, we like to be distracted. We like to be entertained. As a matter of fact, we cry out to be entertained. Uh, Serve me. Appeal to me. Um, do, do, do what I want, entertain me, and, and we can get so caught up in wanting the next experience or to be entertained that we miss the main thing. We do that in life. We miss those moments that are important uh, with relationships, with our jobs, with the things that we should be doing. We get distracted, and, and even on a small scale, we miss the things that we should be doing, and we certainly, this time of year, miss, have a tendency to miss what's important about Christmas. And maybe this year, it's not so much, hey, I'm caught up in the presence of the parties, it's that I can't go to the party that I want to go to, 
I can't go to the family gathering that I want to because of social distancing or whatever. Or I can't, I've got to follow these stinking rules all the way through Christmas. Uh, and maybe it's that. Maybe we're so caught up in what we can't do that we miss the main message, that we miss the point of Christmas. How many of this, of us this Christmas will see the show or will get caught up in the peripherals and miss the main message, programs, gifts, decorations, food, or again, what we can't do. I mean, all those things, you know, some of them fun and all of them have their place, but we can get distracted. They are all peripheral attractions and not the main event. The main event is the birth of Christ. The main event is what he came here to do and what we have as a result, the gift that he has given with his life. We have to be careful not to miss the message of Christ's birth. Second, we fail to make the connection when our God is too small. You know, in life, at Christmas, but all of life, we we don't make the connection when we have a small picture of God. Jesus, and that's what happens in in his triumphant entry. I mean, their view of what he was there to do was too small. They wanted immediate rescue. They wanted to be free. They, they wanted him to overthrow the Roman government, which would have been great for them for a while, but it wouldn't have lasted. I mean, governments come and go, but that was what they wanted. They, they, Jesus was coming to offer himself as Messiah, as the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. I mean, he, he was coming to, they wanted a political ruler. He was coming to be their Savior. Their view was too short-sighted. Their view was too small. We see a crowd of people here thinking of kingship in terms of conquest and not king lord of my life. That, that's the disconnect, and that's where they fall short. They're not, they're, they're not looking at Jesus for who he really is. They don't see it. Even the psalm they shouted, one, Psalm 118 verse 26 is a conqueror's song. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they, are, they are expecting conquest. Uh, he, he is uh, from the line of David, the great warrior. They think he's going to lead them back to prominence, to victory. That's what they want. They want immediate, immediate conquest. Uh, it, Jesus was trying to show them, though, that the popular opinion was not the correct opinion. Again, everything's calculated here. I mean, even the, the animal he chooses, he's communicating a message, and his message had been consistent throughout his life. He came to give himself. He, he's not there. He wasn't there to conquer the Roman government. It wasn't temporary victory. It was eternal victory that he was there to provide. They weren't making the connection, though. They just didn't get it. They, they, they weren't connecting the dots. Jesus wanted them to think big, but they were thinking small. Their God was too little. Here's the point. The people wanted to think about their culture, their group, their race. Jesus wanted them to think about their need for salvation and then the salvation of the world. Their view was their own group of people for immediate comfort, victory, security, and he's got a worldwide mission. He's got a worldwide view. He's trying to get them to adopt. And guess what? He's still trying to get us to adopt that today. Yet we miss the message. We miss what he came here to do. We get caught up in the, the peripherals, the, the things that are going on around us. J.B. Phillips wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And in it, he, he uses this example. We have a hard time picturing 
looking at things from God's perspective. And of course we do. I mean, you know, that's normal because he's God and we're not. But, but we get caught up in trying to imagine how he's able to do what he's able to do and sometimes get distracted by that. And he uses this example. He says, there are, for example, those who are considerably worried about the thought of God simultaneously hearing and answering prayers and aspirations of people all over the world. Let me be honest. Have you ever wondered how he does that? And I get two people talking to me at once and, you know, I want to pass out. I can't, I can't handle it. I'm not a multitasker. And so we look at God and, you know, we try to wrap our human minds around that. Um, but that's the mistake, right? We're trying to think about how we could do it. And we're looking at God as being just a little bit better version of us and not God. He says the reason is because maybe our mental picture is of a harassed telephone operator answering callers at a switchboard of superhuman size. We don't have operators anymore, I don't think, but I mean, but that's the idea. We've got this picture that he's, you know, he's, he's working tirelessly and, and maybe uh, confused and, and, and failing and, and, you know, erratically trying to figure out how to connect everybody to each other and to himself. But he says, maybe the best thing to do is just to simply say, I, I can imagine how God could do that, and I can't. Maybe, maybe it's true that he is God and can do all things, and his mind is far beyond mine. And instead of trying to figure him out, just wonder and bask in his glory and the mystery of who he is. You know, we try to put him in a box. We try to make him fit our own expectations. We try to make him a little bit better than us, and we can't imagine how he can do the things that he can do because we can't do those things. But the God that came on Christmas, that rode in on this donkey, is the same God that created the world. He's the same God that walked with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire and rescued them from Nebuchadnezzar. He's the same God that closed the lion's mouths and rescued Daniel. He's the same God, as we just studied, that led the Israelites out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptian army behind them, defeated them. It's the same God that was born of a virgin in a miraculous way, lived, died on the cross, a perfect life, a perfect sacrifice, and was raised from the dead three days later to give us victory over sin. And so we shouldn't try to figure him out and how he can do things. We should just believe in him and trust in him and spend our lives getting to know him more. And then that'll come. One day we will see him face to face. It shouldn't be about trying to fit him into our understanding. It should be about submitting to him and believing he is a God who can. And he's a God who can rescue us from a pandemic or whatever we face. He's God. And we can trust in him. But the question, it begs the question, what is my view of God this Christmas? How big is my view of God? I mean, am I struggling in this time because my view is too small? Do I really trust that he's got everything under control? We've said that over and over again since March, right? I mean, I've said it over and over again. God knows what's going on. He's got it under control. We don't understand it. And we've said it so much, maybe it's just become the natural response. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God's in control? That all of this is, is according to his plan for his kingdom? If we do, we can rest in who he is. But we fail to make the connection when our view of God is too small. Number three, we fail to make the connection when we make Jesus king for a day and not Lord for life, which is what 
the Jews did here. They wanted to make him king then. And just like David, a temporary king, but a conquering king. And that word Hosanna in verse 9 and 10. If you look at the, you know, we use it as celebration, as praise, and that is an appropriate use of it. But when you look at the original word, the original use, it literally means save us now. That's what they wanted. They, they wanted immediate salvation. They wanted to be rescued from Rome, from oppression. And you can't blame them for wanting that, just like we want to be rescued from what we're in right now, right? I mean, but we can focus on that to the point where we miss the greater salvation. And that's what happened here. Here's the point. The people were more concerned with being rescued from their present circumstances. Jesus, though, was concerned with rescuing them from a life of sin. That's what he's trying to get them to see, and maybe you today. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, yeah, Christmas is wonderful and all the great, great things around Christmas. And, and it would be great if, uh, you know, we're all praying that vaccines work and we get rescued from, from, from this pandemic and that next year this is a distant memory. But Jesus' greatest concern for you this Christmas is your soul, your salvation. I guarantee you, if you don't know him, what he wants for you is to know him is to receive that gift of salvation. That's what he wants. He wants you to know him as Lord and Savior. In Romans 10, 9, Paul assures us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Acts 2, 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That, that's who he is. Jesus is Lord. And he's Lord whether we recognize it or not. The question is, will, he, will we make him Lord of our lives? That was the question for the, the, the Jews that day when he rode in on that donkey. The question was, were they just going to want to make him king for a day, or would they make him Lord for life, Lord of their lives? Jesus is Lord, and he's Lord because he's God. I mean, he is, yes, he was fully human, but he never ceased to be God. He is God. Colossians 1.19, God was pleased to have all of himself live in Christ. Colossians 2, 9, all of God lives in Christ's body. So Jesus is man, but he's more than man. He was God-man, fully God, fully human. He's also Lord because he's the creator. The reason he has the right to rule creation and us is because he created it. In Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. And then John 1, 3 spells it out just as clearly as it possibly can be. Uh, John 1, 3, all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. You know, we know that God made the world, and that he made us, and he gave us life. That gives him right to be Lord. But sometimes we lose sight of that, don't we? Several years ago, a book, uh, you've probably heard of it, The Heart of Worship, it was compiled by Matt Redman, and in a chapter written by Lou Giglio, he talks about a picture uh, that was taken by a telescope, again, several years ago from Hawaii. Um, and I, I brought that picture. I have that picture. It's of a galaxy named NGC 628. And what's amazing about this galaxy is it's the closest to a perfect spiral of any galaxy that's been seen. It's a little smaller than ours. It's only about 100 billion stars, that's all. Um, and it's really close. It's about 30 light years away. 
um, which is, you know, the, the, the point that Giglio was trying to make in, in his section was that the article he read about this talked about how, what a great accomplishment it was that we got this picture. We took this picture with our telescope on the island of Hawaii. What an amazing feat that was to be able to see this. We did this. We did this. Maybe it kind of sounds like we're using the wrong pronouns there, doesn't it? I think the title of that article, and listen, it's amazing. We can take a picture of anything 30 light years away, however many. I probably got that wrong, but uh, yeah, 30 million light years. Um, that's amazing. Don't get me wrong. Amazing feat. But maybe the caption, the title of the article should have been, Look what God put there with his hands. Jesus is Lord because he's creator. He deserves to be Lord because he owns it. It's his. It's not mine. It's not yours. And we can marvel at it, and man, that's amazing. You like that, don't you, Eli? He loves the planets, stars. Great to look at. Jesus created that. He placed those stars there. He is Lord because he is creator, and he's also Lord because he's redeemer. An interesting story from 2003. A judge in Miami, Florida, had to issue a ruling over a person's right, uh, actually a country's right, to reclaim a piece of, of the moon. Of course, you know, we can argue over whether or not we own anything like that, but, you know, th- th- it was a gift. After Apollo 17, the astronauts brought it back. President Nixon gave it to the Honduras government. And suddenly, in 2003, this guy in Florida tries to sell it for $5 million. Well, the, the Honduran government found out, and they're like, hey, no, somebody took that from us. And this guy's claiming he bought it from a millionaire uh, legally. Well, it comes to find out that someone smuggled it into the country, into the U.S., breaking U.S. customs laws. And so a federal judge ordered that it be given back to, the, to Honduras because it was never not theirs. It appeared as if it were, but it wasn't. And so it was given back to its rightful owner. You know, we, we, are, we are twice gods. He created us. Yes, we fell into sin, and it appeared for a while that we were no longer his. And maybe you can argue theologically that we weren't. But that's been taken care of. Jesus paid for us again with his life. He redeemed us. He bought us out of sin. He didn't have to do that. We chose to sin, and he gave his life so that we could be purchased once again. So there's no question, if you are... A child of God, if you are saved by faith through the grace of God, by grace through faith in God, then you are his. You belong to him. And he is Lord because he owns it all, including you. He deserves to be Lord. He's Redeemer. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, God was pleased to have all of himself dwell in Christ God was also pleased, we read that verse, look at the next one. God was also pleased to bring everything on earth and in heaven back to himself through Christ. He redeemed us. He brought us back, bought us back. He did this by making peace through Christ's blood sacrifice on the cross. So he died for humanity. He saved us. He is Lord, and he deserves to be Lord. The question, again, question for the Jews that day during the triumphant entry, the question for us is, will we make him Lord? of our lives. He is Lord. Will we recognize him as Lord? We fail to make the connection when we don't. We also fail to make the connection when we don't follow him. You know, I can claim he's Lord. I can profess him as Lord. I can even be a follower of Christ and not really follow him with my life. I can, I can rebel. I can run, backslide, whatever you want to call it. 
the question for us this Christmas should be, is he Lord first, and are we following him? In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, follow me. That's the call. When we receive Christ, the call is for us to follow him. Will we? We belong to him, and everything that we have belongs to him. You know, we've already established he created everything. He's bought us back, and so he owns us. And everything that we have, anything that we have in life, it's the issue of stewardship. It's all his. We are managers. And so what are we doing with what he's given us? I mean, yes, money, but everything, our, our families, our lives, our careers. I mean, how are we using that? Are we using that for his glory? It's a question we need to ask. Everything that we have belongs to him. So we need to live as such. And, so, and we also, following him means we obey him. We obey him. Are we obeying him? Our character, our conduct, our conversation must be regulated by the word of God. He dictates what we do and don't do. Are we following? Are we studying his word and are we living his word? Are we applying it to our lives? It's not enough just to give lip service to God, to Jesus. We, if we truly are followers of him, we will fully and completely obey him. And we all fall short. But what's the desire of our hearts consistently over life? What does our life story tell? Are we obeying him? We also should glorify him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Paul says, Don't you know that your body is the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Are we glorifying him by our thoughts, by our actions, by the way that we live. To glorify Christ means to honor him. We honor him with our lives. So we need to live in such a way that honors God and then encourages others to do the same. It's part of being a witness for Christ, living out the Great Commission, which leads to what the other aspect of of following him is, and that's that we tell others about him. Jesus was clear. Here's your mission, Matthew 8, 28, 19, and 20, go and make disciples of all nations, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. That's the mission. That's the call. Are we doing it? Are we sharing Jesus with others? And are we submitting to his lordship? Because if we're going to follow him, again, Jesus is Lord, whether we recognize it or not, but the question for us is, are we making him Lord of our lives? Are we truly submitting to his lordship? He's Lord. He deserves to be Lord, but we have to acknowledge him as Lord. And that's what we're called to do. Submit to him. And if we do, if we do all these, if we avoid making these mistakes, we won't miss the message this Christmas. We, we, we will make the connection. Maybe for the first time ever in your life, it will be the greatest Christmas you've ever experienced. Now, what's Tuesday, guys? Christmas dry land. If you haven't heard that story before, you're wondering what we're talking about, right? I've told this story before, but Christmas dry land is a Hayes family tradition. Now, let me explain to you why that is the case. Several years ago, uh, I guess about five or six, seven years ago, somewhere around there, I don't remember. Uh, I don't even know what you guys were talking about. You can remind me later, but they were talking about, you know, Christmas and Christmas Eve and why we called it Christmas Eve and all this sort of stuff. Well, Timmy has always been a great philosopher, and uh, he started pondering this, and he decided that uh, if, if Christmas Eve was called Christmas Eve, then the day before that had to be Christmas Adam because God created Adam before Eve, right? Well, then you talk about the day before that, 
And so he decided that the day before Christmas, Adam would be Christmas dry land because God created the dry land before he created man. And so that, that, that day, a new holiday was born in our family. And every year we celebrate Christmas dry land and we do it by going to the Space and Rocket Center because that's what we did the first year. Last year, it fell on a Sunday. We couldn't go to the Space and Rocket Center. My kids were not happy at all, but we made up for it. So this Tuesday, we will celebrate by going to the Space and Rocket Center and doing I don't know what else. We'll, we'll have a great day. That's what we do. A new Hayes family tradition. Normally, and for most of you that aren't crazy like us, a normal day, right? Except for the fact that you're trying to get rest to get ready for Christmas. But a normal day takes on a whole new significance for our family. I have a guess, I don't know this, but I guess I would imagine that they are going to celebrate Christmas dry land with their kids one day. And who knows, it could be a tradition for centuries. If not, we've made it a special day. And it's a wonderful day that we always try to spend together as a family. A normal day takes on a whole new meaning. You know, it occurs to me that Jesus has a way of doing that. A normal day over 2,000 years ago, became a significant day because he entered this world as a human being. An ordinary day became significant because he rode in town on a donkey. A normal animal became significant because of what it represented and what he was there to bring. A normal day, although special, took on a completely different meaning when Jesus took the Passover and applied his sacrifice to it, what it meant. If we're not careful, we'll miss that. You know, again, I love presents. Can't wait until I open my presents on Friday, right? <laughs> you know what day it is. Christmas Dryland's Tuesday, Friday's Christmas. <laughs> Can't wait. It's going to be fun. And like I said, I'm looking forward to some of the things that I'm getting. I know the kids are. They're bouncing off the walls excited, and I can't wait to see them open their presents. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. But we can focus, and I didn't, the reason this looks so nice is because I didn't wrap it. But we can focus so much on the present that we miss maybe the message of Jesus' life and his mission. He came, was born, and always before him was the cross. He knew why he was here. And we celebrate his birth, and it's a wonderful celebration. But we should never do it without remembering his death and what he came here to do because we will make the same mistake that those Jews did 2,000 years ago. We'll miss the message. His life, his death, his resurrection. And I immediately go to you know, that upper room with his disciples. You fast-forward birth to death, the upper room with his disciples. And Jesus takes the bread of Passover, just an ordinary piece of bread similar to what you have here. They had celebrated for years God's deliverance of his people, and what an amazing celebration that was, right? Years and years of slavery delivered, a reason to celebrate. But just as he was trying to communicate with the triumphant entry, he was about to deliver them from something far greater, something far worse, with greater consequences. An eternity separated from him. And so Jesus takes this bread, 
And he tries to explain to his disciples, this is what this is all about. And so we look at this today, and we think about what Jesus came to do, and we should be thankful. We should be thankful for the life that Jesus led, the perfect sinless life. We should be thankful that he could give his body because he took the form of a human. He took on a human body. So we're thankful for his physical body, that because he lived a sinless life, he could offer as a perfect sacrifice. The payment for sin is death. You and I could not pay that penalty and still go to heaven. We would have to be separated from God for all of eternity. But because God became man, he could pay that price for us. And so we thank God today. We thank Jesus for living as a human and giving his life. And Jesus explained to his disciples on the night when he was betrayed, he took this, he gave thanks as you and I just did, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So today, Lord... We take this bread. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. May we always remember what you've done. We do this today, remembering your sacrifice. Wherever there's a sacrifice, blood is spilled. Not sickened or horrified by blood, but I don't like it. It's not a pleasant sight. I think if you do, there's probably something wrong with you. The sacrifice had to be made repeatedly over and over and over again. Again, Jesus takes an element used in this Passover celebration, a great celebration, and he, and he applies new meaning to it. That repeated act exhausting act of sacrificing for sins over and over again each year at Passover and beyond would now come to an end. Because he lived, because he took the form of that body, because he was sinless, he was perfect, he could now give that perfect sacrifice. Even the most spotless lamb still had some blemishes, but Jesus was completely perfect. He gave himself. He, his blood was spilled. And through that, we have redemption. We have forgiveness of sin because of the shedding of his blood. We have freedom from sin if we put our faith and trust in him. And so if you're here today and you are a child of God, or you're at home today and you're a child of God, you can, like me right now, express thanksgiving for what Jesus has done. Because he said, just as he did with the bread, he takes this and applies new meaning the old covenant is now going away. It says, this cup is the cup of, my new, of the new covenant. The covenant, covenant established with my blood. And as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now think about that. Lord, we thank you for your body that you gave yourself as a sacrifice, we thank you for your blood that's been shed. The new covenant 
No longer the exhausting, repeated act of sacrificing an animal. You gave yourself the perfect, spotless lamb. We are free from sin because you shed your blood. Our sins are covered by your blood. We have been washed clean. We do this today in remembrance of you, and in doing so, we proclaim your death for all to see and hear until you come. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask Luke and our praise team to come up, and we're going to just take a few moments here as we conclude our worship service. Let's just continue this time of thanksgiving and maybe meditation, spirit of meditation and awe of who Jesus is. We're just going to sing a, a song of worship together. And before we hit the ground running this afternoon, headed towards Friday, let's just talk, stop and take a few moments and think about what it is that we've been rescued from. Let's make sure we don't miss the message this year. Let's make sure we make the connection for ourselves and for our families. Father, again, we come before you recognizing that you are God. Jesus, you are Lord. We have honored your life, your death. Through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, we've remembered what you did, your sacrifice. We thank you for the salvation that you provide. So now, during this time of worship, Lord, may we give you the honor and glory that you deserve. And may we just, for the next few moments, focus our hearts and our minds on who you are and the relationship that we have that's possible with you because of your sacrifice. Help us to make the connection this year. And if there's anybody out there that doesn't know you, help them to make the connection for the first time. Lord, I pray that you're pleased by our worship here today. In Jesus' name, amen.
The question is, have we made the connection this morning, this year? Have you made the connection? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Uh, Christmas is a great time. It's exciting, but it means nothing if you don't know Jesus as Savior because that's the true meaning of Christmas. You can't really understand the significance unless you have a relationship with Christ. And I invite you today, if you haven't done that, you have the opportunity to do that. We're going to have a time of prayer in just a moment, and you can just simply cry out to God where you are, believing that he died for your sins. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand everything there is to know about being a Christian. You just have to believe that you've done things wrong as we all have and that Jesus died to take away your sins so that you could be free. Maybe you are a follower of Christ, but because of the pandemic or just the craziness of Christmas, maybe you've lost sight this year. <clears throat> maybe you're struggling making the connection because of something going on in your life that's present this year that wasn't last year. You're just having a hard time focusing on what matters. Again, we're going to have a time of prayer, and this is your opportunity to hit the reset button for all of us. Just to clear, clean the slate and just focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and not miss what it is that he wants you to experience about him this Christmas. Let's, let's just spend a few moments in prayer. Father, we come before you again, and, and I just have to believe that whether present in person or online, that there's somebody that, that hasn't yet made that connection. We laugh at the video, and, and it's okay to do that, and it's poking fun at, at something that's very real, though. There are those who don't yet know who you are. They've heard of you. They've maybe sung songs about you at Christmas and the babe in the manger and all of that, but it really hasn't hit home that you are the Savior of the world. And that their greatest need is to be free from sin. Lord, we want to be free from sickness. We want to be free from trials and struggles and just the tribulations and the difficulty of living in this fallen world. We want freedom from that. But what we need, all of us, every human being, is forgiveness of sin. Lord, if there's somebody here in this place or at home watching and you are convicting them right now, Holy Spirit, of their need for salvation, I pray that they would just cry out to you honestly and truthfully. There doesn't have to be a magic formula of words other than, God, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died for me. Come into my life. Take over. Forgive me. That's all it takes. And I pray that they would right now. For those of us who know you, Lord, may we take this chance to reset, to refocus, to focus on you. Not all the other stuff. Enjoy the other stuff, the parties, the presents, the fun, but to focus our hearts and our minds on you. We are yours. You paid for us, you created us, and then you bought us with your life. We belong to you. I pray that we would make you Lord not just today, but always, that we would live in submission to you for your sake, for your glory, for your kingdom. We give ourselves to you, Lord, for your purposes, for your name's sake, and it is in your name.
Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.